0: and i'm excited about diving into god's word how many of you are ready to dive into god's word today as we continue our series in the life of joseph and you can go ahead and find a seat today and if you have a bible today i want to encourage you to grab it and we're going to be in genesis chapter 45 Genesis chapter 45 today. Today is the final week in our study that we've been calling Out of Control. And so today is the two-hour series finale of Out of Control. I hope you're ready for it. That was a joke in case you were wondering. And I'm looking forward to studying God's word today. We're gonna conclude this story. We started this study two months ago and we have been learning about this Old Testament character, Joseph. At 17 years old, Joseph received received dreams from God, dreams of power, position, and prominence. And because of those dreams, his brothers hated him. And so there was some family drama in Joseph's family. They had some relational complexity and some difficulties that were facing their family. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was thrown into a pit, sold into slavery. He was lied about in Potiphar's house, thrown into a prison. But even through all of that chaotic mess, God was still in control and God led him to be the second in command in all of Egypt and God was working in and through his life and really what we find in the study of uh, Joseph and what we find uh, in his life is the truth that God is always in control and we also find a great picture of what forgiveness and reconciliation looks like and today we're going to talk about that for a few minutes from Genesis chapter 45 if you're ready would you say amen? If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, that Bible is our gift to you. You can take that home. And most of the verses will be on the screen as well today. Genesis chapter 45, verse number one. The Bible says this. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall neither be earing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father and advisor to Pharaoh and Lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Haste ye, hurry up, and go and tell my father, and say unto him, uh, Thus saith thy son to Joseph. Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not. Today, for a few minutes, I want to speak to this subject, freedom through forgiveness. Freedom through forgiveness. Let's have a word of prayer together this morning. God, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for this opportunity that we have on a weekly basis on the Lord's Day to come to celebrate the fact that you are alive. And God, because you are alive, because your son rose from the grave, we have hope and purpose today. Lord, I pray that for the next few minutes we will be able to lean into this passage of scripture, that we will be able to understand what it means to offer a biblical kind of forgiveness. God, I pray that there would be those today that would experience Uh, relational uh, restoration or, or get on the path of reconciliation. And God, I pray that all of us would be able to take an honest look within today and seek to have a biblical understanding of this subject of forgiveness, of this subject of reconciliation. And God, uh, we love you, and we pray that you would speak to us in a great way over the next few minutes. I pray that you would fill me with your spirit to give me the words to say that would be helpful and beneficial for us all. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. One of my favorite things to do when I'm at an airport is to watch for families that are going to be reunited at the airport. Uh, How many of you have ever been on the curb waiting to be picked up and you saw someone and their loved ones came and you could tell that they hadn't seen each other in a while and uh, they came and they gave a warm embrace and it's just a beautiful moment. How many of you know what I'm talking about when there's just this reunion together? Uh, I saw a video this past week that went viral of a sister surprising her brother at the airport and I brought this video for us to check out this morning. you got a big gift in there. What is this? <laughs> <laughs> is that caffeine? <laughs> you guys are sick. a beautiful family reunion moment at the airport, right? And uh, today, as we come to Genesis chapter 45, what we see is that Joseph is going to finally reveal himself to his brothers, and they are finally going to have a reunion together. And it's a beautiful picture of what a restored relationship uh, looks like. And uh, I, I believe that it is no exaggeration for us to say that relationships are the most important things in our lives. Uh, relationships are the most important thing in life. Why? Jesus said to love God with all your heart and soul and to love your neighbor as yourself are the two most important commandments. He boiled down all the law into those two things. What do they have to do with? Relationships. Our vertical relationship with God and our horizontal relationship with other people. And so when you study scripture, you are quick to understand and observe that relationships are vitally important. And yet even though relationships are vitally important, what we see today in our culture and in the landscape of society is that relationships are becoming more and more superficial, more and more shallow, more and more resentful, more and more hateful. And what we're seeing Uh, especially and tragically amongst followers of Jesus, is a drift from what the Bible has to say about loving relationships, and and a drift from what it means to be restored, and a drift from uh, the idea and biblical principle of forgiveness. According to uh, Fetzer Institute, they did this study not too long ago on the importance of forgiveness, and they determined that 55 percent of of people in the United States uh, would agree that we need more forgiveness in America. Like, we need more forgiveness. But what was interesting about that study is 60% of those people said that forgiveness is contingent upon the offender initiating the apology. Uh, On the offender saying, hey, I'm I'm all about forgiveness. Yeah, we need more forgiveness. As long as they're the ones that are going to initiate it, as long as someone else is going to be humble, as long as someone else is going to come and say, I'm sorry, first. If they're going to do that, then I'm all about it. And so often in life, when we are offended, when we are dealing with relational struggle, we are quick to point fingers, and we are quick to point out all the faults in everyone else, and we are very slow to take a look within. And and James, the brother of Jesus, he said this in James chapter 4, in verse number 1. He says, from whence come wars and fightings among you? He says, in other words, where are all of these uh, fightings and these uh, human conflicts coming from? What's the source? Have you ever thought about that? Like, what's really the source of human conflict and relational struggle? Uh, Where does it all stem from? Well, he tells us in James 4, he says, Come they not hence even of your lusts? He says, your lusts, your desires, that war in your members. You lust, and you desire, and you have not, and you kill, and desire to have, and you cannot obtain. You fight, and you war, and yet you have not because you ask not. In other words, this is what James is saying. Hey, instead of being so quick to point and to look out there, how about you take a look within? Now, I'm not saying that we are responsible for everything that happens to us. Uh, There are people that have endured great trial, great suffering, great affliction, not because of their own doing, but because of what someone else has done to them. But what I am saying today is that while we are not responsible for what is done to us, we are responsible for how we respond to what happens to us. And so what James is saying is, hey, uh, when it comes to relational struggle and difficulty, make sure that you are taking a look within. Uh, One psychiatrist and author, Dr. Leon Saul, he said this, I believe man's hostility to man is the central problem in human affairs that it is a disease to be cured and prevented like cancer, TB, or smallpox, and that its cure will result in healthier, better living, not only for society in general, but for each individual in particular. And so, in other words, what this psychiatrist is saying is that man's central problem is man's hostility to man. It is like a disease that needs to be cured. And can I tell you today that there is only one true cure for man's hostility to man, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the cross of Jesus Christ. Because of the cross, there can be restoration. There can be reconciliation. Uh, He has made us all of one blood, the Bible tells us. And so the only true cure for relational complexity is the cross. And this is what we see all throughout scripture. Paul uh, was talking about this truth when he was writing to the church at Ephesus. And he made it abundantly clear when he said this in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12. He said that at that time you were without Christ. He was talking about that B.C. life, before Christ. How many of you remember life before Christ and, uh, and uh, before Christ? And really, he paints a tragic picture of what life is like if you have not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And by the way, today, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, whether you are in the room or watching online, today can be the day of salvation for you. And that's a wonderful reality. But Paul says this, that at that time, you were without Christ. He's speaking specifically to the Gentile people. Now, just so that we're all on the same page, the Gentile people were anyone that were not Jewish people. And so there was a great uh, hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. And he's saying that at one time you were without Christ, being aliens or strangers from the commonwealth of Israel, and the strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope. By the way, without Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no true eternal lasting hope. There can be hope for a little while. We can have some wishful thinking and we can have some positive thinking and we can have some temporary hope. But the only way to have eternal hope is to anchor your hope in the one who is the anchor for our hope, Jesus Christ. And so he says life without Christ is a bleak picture. You are without hope. You are without God. You are without Christ. But then he says this. He goes on and he says, but now. And I love that transition in that verse. But now. He says this. In Christ Jesus, you are. Who were sometimes afar off are made nigh. You can come close. How? By the blood of Jesus Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. What a powerful and beautiful verse. Uh, Paul knew that in the temple there was a literal physical wall that separated the Jews from the Gentiles. There was a wall that said to the Gentiles, you are not allowed to go here. You are not allowed to proceed any further. In fact, there was a Jewish historian named Josephus, a secular historian, and he describes how that at certain intervals in the temple, there were literal signs in Greek and Latin that said, warning to the Gentiles, do not proceed further lest you die. Do not come over here lest you die. Do not come over here unless you die. And what Paul is saying is that Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ has broken down that wall. And so today, the answer for racism in our country, in our world, is the blood of Jesus Christ. The answer to relational complexity in our lives today is the blood of Jesus Christ. He has broken down that wall. And he has made peace possible. And so often we can think, well, peace is just not possible in this circumstance. And you don't know my story. And I don't. But I know that forgiveness is available for us. And I know that when Jesus was on the cross as the recipient of the worst that humanity has to offer, if anyone knew about being abused, if anyone knew about being hurt, if anyone knew about the bleeding pain of life, it was Jesus. And on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And so in Jesus Christ, we have the most perfect picture of what forgiveness looks like and why restoration is possible. Now, we come to Genesis chapter 45, and what we're going to see is a beautiful picture of this as well. Uh, Joseph is going to demonstrate for us uh, forgiveness and reconciliation, but I think it's important before we dive into this chapter that we have a little bit of context and understanding because I don't want there to be any uh, confusion today as we go through this passage. Uh, Joseph already knew who his brothers were. He already knew uh, the wrong that they had done, but the brothers, they don't know Joseph. And so you might remember the previous chapters, chapter 42 through 44, Joseph is putting them through a series of tests. Why is Joseph testing them? He is testing them so he can trust them. Because there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness is a decision, but reconciliation sometimes is a process where two can come together. And you have to say and have the ability to say, I can trust you again. And so by no means am I trivializing this subject of forgiveness today. And by no means am I saying that this is just something that is easy that we can do. I understand the difficulty of a subject like this that we're going to talk about today. And so we have to understand that there was years and so much time where Joseph was processing and seeing if he can trust his family again. But by the time we get to Genesis 45, he is able to have a beautiful moment of forgiveness. And he's able to demonstrate for us what forgiveness really looks like according to a biblical standard. So today as we go through this passage, uh, I hope that we can recognize that uh, this is something that we should aim for and shoot for. That this is what a biblical model of forgiveness looks like. And so what I'd like to do today is if you're taking notes. We're going to go through this uh, uh, rather rapidly today. But I want to give us six principles in regards to biblical forgiveness. Uh, Six principles in regards to genuine forgiveness. Are you ready today? Now, I want to encourage you to have a pen and paper ready or uh, have a phone ready. Try to jot some of these things down. But here's the first principle when it comes to forgiveness. Number one is this. Genuine forgiveness does not parade the sins of others. Genuine forgiveness does not parade the sins of others. Now, let's pick up the narrative in verse number one. You have a Bible today? You ready? Anybody else ready today with a Bible? Yes, All right. At Rock Hill, we like to keep our Bibles open, right? So we're going we're to continue to look at these verses. Verse number one. Then Joseph could not refrain himself. Now, remember, if you've been with us in this study, Joseph was always in control of his emotions, right? He didn't let his emotions get out of control. But here, uh, when he is finally ready to reveal himself to his brothers, he couldn't refrain himself. He became overcome with emotion before all of them that stood by him. And he cried. Watch what he says. Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. And so what Joseph does right off the bat is he says, all right, clear the room. I want everyone to leave. And he is about to have a private conversation with his brothers. This is not something that he wanted to do publicly. It's something that he wanted to do privately. Now. There was a reason that Joseph did this. Joseph was considered a hero in Egypt. Joseph was the one that interpreted Pharaoh's dreams. He came up with a plan for prosperity to save the food during the famine. And so the Egyptians knew that Joseph was a pretty big deal. Joseph was a hero. They loved Joseph. And so if the Egyptians found out that these Hebrew men that are here visiting once kidnapped Joseph and tried to kill Joseph, they would then hate his brothers. And so what Joseph does is he decides to keep this matter and to keep this issue private. What he does is he decides to not parade the sins of other people. Now, I want to make it very clear at the outset of this point that what I'm not saying is that we should cover up sin. What I'm not saying is that we should sweep sin under the rug and just uh, kind of act like nothing happened. No, as a church, we believe in mandatory reporting laws. We believe in confronting sin, exposing sin so that there can be healing. I'm not talking about covering up sin. What I'm saying is that there ought to be a spirit within us that says, you know what, even though I've been offended, even though I've been hurt, it is not my heart's desire to parade the sins of other people. So often what we do when we're hurt is we want the offender to feel ashamed and embarrassed, and we want to expose them and drag them through the mud. And this is not the heart of true biblical forgiveness. In fact, the Bible says this in 1 Peter 4 And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity, for love, shall cover the multitude of sins. And so here's Joseph protecting his brothers. He's not parading their sins. By the way, aren't you thankful that God did not parade your sins Aren't you thankful that our sins are as far removed as the east is from the west? The Bible says in Micah chapter 7 verse 19, "He will turn again, he will have compassion upon us, he will subdue our iniquities, and thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the seas." Am I thankful today that he threw our sins into the depths of the sea? He nailed them to the cross. And so, today if we're going to have a posture and a mindset that says I truly want to forgive, then we're going to have this mindset that says, I'm not going to parade the sins of other people. Here, this is the second thought today. Number two is this. Genuine forgiveness speaks honestly and openly. A lot of times we struggle to tell the truth and to speak the truth because the truth hurts. And the truth can be awkward. The truth can be clunky at times. The truth can be uncomfortable. But if you are serious about healing, and you're serious about forgiveness, then you have to recognize the truth must be spoken. And I want you to see what Joseph does here in verse number three. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. He revealed his identity. Now, it might seem like an oversimplification of the text to tell you that there would be no possible reconciliation if they didn't know that it was Joseph. If there was no revelation of his identity, there would be no reconciliation with the family. And so Joseph had to speak the truth. Now, that would have been a little bit uncomfortable for the brothers to hear. They would have been scared to death. They were scared to death. When they found out this is Joseph, the one that 21 years ago we sold into slavery, now he's standing right here. They were scared to death. They thought Joseph would seek revenge. So Joseph reveals himself, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. They were scared to death. Verse 4, and Joseph said unto his brethren, come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and and he said, I am Joseph your brother whom ye sold into Egypt. And so not only did Joseph reveal his identity, he also stated the offense. A lot of times when we're hurt, we don't want to name it, we don't want to state it, we kind of just want to sit on it and and, uh, and we're, we're uncomfortable sharing what happened. And I understand that. But what Joseph does here is he is speaking honestly and openly and he states the offense. I am, Joseph, the one that you sold into Egypt. You know, the Bible has an interesting verse in Romans, Romans chapter 12, verse number 18, that says, as much as lies within you, live peaceably with all men. How many of you have ever heard that verse before? As much as lies within you. That's a convicting verse when you think about it. As much as lies within you, everything that's in you, live peaceably with all men. How is that possible? Because that seems pretty challenging, Romans twelve eighteen. But the verse right before that gives us a little bit of insight as to how we can live peaceably with all men. If you read the verse right before verse number 17, it says this in Romans 12, verse 17 Provide things honest in the sight of all men. You want to experience peace relationally, you have to be willing to speak honestly and openly. That means sometimes getting accountability, that means confessing sin. That means getting uncomfortable at times, but we will never be able to experience true and lasting restoration if we are unwilling to speak the truth and to speak the truth in love. And this leads us to our third thought today. Number three is this the third principle that we see in this text regarding forgiveness. Number three genuine forgiveness desires to set a person at ease. When you truly forgive, it should be the desire of your heart to set the offender, at ease. Now, I want to explain what I mean. Notice verse number four. And Joseph said unto his brethren, come near. The verb there in the Hebrew is nagash. It's it's more than just spatial proximity. It's talking about an intimate closeness. It's the same verb used to describe a hug or to describe an embrace. And what Joseph is saying to his brothers is, hey, you don't have to be afraid. Come near. Come here. Come close. And what he's doing is he's removing the fear from them. And that he is setting them at ease. I'm so thankful that that is the same heart as our heavenly father. That once we have been saved and experienced the forgiveness of sins, that God does not desire that we would be afraid of him. So many people think that following Jesus and so many people think that the will of God is something scary and that God doesn't want us to have any fun and he's just out to get us. But, but no, God wants us to draw near. In Romans, it says that we can call him Abba. The word means daddy. Daddy. It describes an intimate closeness that we can cry out to him, Father, Abba, the Bible says that we can boldly approach the throne of grace, that we don't have to stand on the outskirts wondering if we have a privilege to sit at the table. No, he wants us to draw near. He puts us at ease. And here is Joseph, and he says, come near, come close. I I want you to come uh, close to me in this moment. And then notice what he does in verse 5. Verse 5, now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves. What a powerful statement that Joseph makes. I don't want you to be grieved. I don't want you to be angry with yourselves. I want you to forgive yourselves. What is Joseph doing here? He's releasing the debt. He's releasing the debt. Sometimes we say, oh, I can forgive someone, but we're still holding on to that grudge. And we want them to squirm a little bit. We want them to feel uncomfortable. We want them to feel uh, anxious when they see us. But true and biblical and lasting forgiveness desires to release the debt. I'm not going to hold it over you. What, what does Joseph do? He says, come near, come close, and then he releases the debt. What do we do so often when we're hurting? Stay away, and I'm going to hold a grudge. Now, there might be times because of safety. There might be times because of abuse that distance is required. The Bible says as much as lies within you, let peace be with all men. Sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes you have to create some distance for wisdom and for safety's sake. But what I'm saying today and what I'm trying to submit to us today is that we should desire when we forgive someone to set that person at ease and to release the dead. Because if we are holding on to that offense, what we are doing is holding on to something that will turn into bitterness, that will turn into resentment, that will end up destroying us from the inside out. Bitterness is a self-contaminating disease. It's drinking, drinking our own poison. And so what Joseph does here is he says, you know, I'm going to put you at ease. Come close. It's going to be okay. You can forgive yourselves, and he releases the dead. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Here's the fourth principle today. Number four is this. Genuine forgiveness looks to God's sovereignty. Now, I know we have six principles today, but if I was really going to zero in on one, it would be this one, okay? Because forgiveness is so often hard to come by because we are not trusting in the sovereignty of God. Now, remember, this series is called Out of Control, right? Joseph's life seemed out of control every step of the way. I mean, thrown into a pit, uh, sold into slavery, uh, lied about, accused, thrown into prison. It seemed like his life was spinning out of control. But what Joseph had at the end of his life and towards the end of his life was clarity. And that clarity was brought about by the sovereignty of God. He, he rested and he trusted that God was in control. And I want you to see how Joseph states it in our text today. Okay, let's look at it. Let's start reading in verse number 5. Everybody still with me this morning? Notice verse 5. He says, Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. Verse 7. And God sent me. Before you. To preserve a posterity in the earth. Verse 8. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. Verse number 9. Hasty and go and tell my father and say unto him, thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not. Uh, See, Joseph was looking to God's sovereignty, and that provided him the ability to truly forgive. When we are hurt, when we've been mistreated, so often... We are looking at our circumstances and we can't understand how this can be used for good. And it's in those moments that we have to look up and trust that God is in control and that He sees what we cannot see. And I love Joseph's perspective here because he's telling his brothers, You sold me, but God sent me. You see the difference? You sold me, but God sent me. And so often we have an I've been sold mindset. I've been hurt, I've been abused, I've been wronged, I- I've been mistreated, and, and, uh, and I've been sold, and it's, it's, it's about the offense that's taking place to me. But when we can walk in spiritual maturity, it's not so much I've been sold, it's I've been sent. It's God has sent me through this season of suffering to make me stronger. That God has sent me through this storm to not destroy me, but to develop me. That God has sent me through this season because he loves me. Hey, it hurts, and I don't understand it all, but I believe that God has sent me for such a time as this. We can trust that God's in control. I understand that at times that doesn't make sense. I understand that there is deep hurt and deep hurt even in this room. But what I know is Romans 8, 28. That God promises to work all things together for good to them that love him and are called according to his purpose. And that God can take a terrible, disastrous situation and he can turn it for good because he is God. God. And he stands outside of time. Remember Habakkuk's complaint in the book of Habakkuk? He was looking around and he was seeing how the enemy was prospering and how God was actually going to use the enemy to judge Israel. And Habakkuk was a prophet in Israel. And he was thinking, this isn't fair. They're worse than we are. And what did Habakkuk do? He pointed his finger at God and said, God, this isn't fair. You're going to use a wicked enemy nation that is worshiping idols to judge and correct your people that doesn't make any sense but what brought Habakkuk at clarity was he said but you are an everlasting god and what brought him clarity was this principle god stands outside of time and god sees what we don't see and god knows what we don't know and his ways are not our ways and god is working all things together for good To them that love him are called according to his purpose. What made Joseph able to forgive? Because naturally and humanly speaking, this was impossible. We can't forgive like this. What made him have the ability to forgive? He looked to God's sovereignty. He over and over and over and over again, he told his brothers, God sent me. God did this. I know you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. God did this. He looked to God's sovereignty. This leads us to our fifth thought today. Number five is this. Genuine forgiveness forgiveness seeks to extend grace. Albert Hubbard was an American writer that said, the final proof of greatness lies in being able to endure contemptuous treatment without resentment. And this is a test that Joseph passed with flying colors in these verses today. And I want us to see verse number 10. It says this, and thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen. And so now Joseph is telling his brothers to go back to the father, and this is what he wants uh, them to know. He says, I want you to come down here and live in Goshen. Uh, Essentially what Joseph is saying is, hey, there's five more years of this famine. Rather than you guys having to come back and forth and back and forth to get food, how about you just come down, live here for a few years in Goshen. If you look on a map, Goshen was the most prosperous, the most fertile land. He was giving them the best of the best. He says, I want you to come and live here. I want you to live in Goshen and be near unto me, thou and thy children, thy children's children, thy flocks and thy herds, and all that thou hast. And there I will nourish thee. For yet there are five years of famine, lest thou and thy household and all that thou hast come to poverty. What is Joseph doing? He is showing a great demonstration of grace. Hey, even though you don't deserve it, even though you've wronged me, Joseph could have just said, okay, you know, what? I forgive you, be on your way. And by the way, like I said earlier, there are times because of safety, there are times because of a repeated pattern of abuse that there is distance that is required. I understand that. I recognize that. But what Joseph is demonstrating here today is to show grace, even when they don't deserve it. I'm going to be kind. You know, the hardest things that we can do when we've been wronged is to show kindness to that person. Katie, can you come up and help me for a second? Whenever our children are fighting, one of the things that I love to do is I love to bring them together and I'll have them apologize, and then I'll, I'll tell them that they need to hug each other. And uh, and I love watching them try to do this because, you know, if Katie is Liv and I'm Luke, I'll say, Luke, you need to go and hug your sister. Hug her right now. And every time, it's always the same posture. It's always like, oh, I don't want to. And fine. And he'll come over and he'll do something like this. <laughs> and that's his definition of a hug. And I'll say, no, Luke, you need to do a real hug. And then he'll come over and go, fine. And uh, you know, like he just doesn't even want to give a full, and I'll say, Luke, no, you got to fully embrace, and so I'll make him come over, and uh, you can tell it's just like suffering, like yeah. torture, having to hug uh, his sister like that. Why? Because when you are offended, when you're bothered, one of the hardest things that you can do is show kindness right. and show grace. Thank, thank you, Katie. Let's give it up for Katie this morning. She's a great hugger. One of the hardest things that you can do when you've been offended or wronged is to show kindness. And that's exactly what Joseph was doing. Think about how Joseph was mistreated. Think about how Joseph went through the most terrible years of his life, and yet he showed grace. Grace allows us to do that which is unnatural, that which doesn't make sense. The grace of God can enable us and empower us to do that, and that's what Joseph is doing. Notice verse 13. Or verse number 12. He says, and behold your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin, that is my mouth that speaketh unto you. Verse 13. And ye shall tell my father of all my glory. I love that phrase. He says, I want you to go home and I want you to tell my father of all my glory in Egypt. And of all that you have seen. And ye shall haste and bring down my father hither. Uh, J- Joseph tells his brothers, go home and tell dad of my glory. Tell him that I'm now in a position of power and prominence and tell him how I've showed you grace and tell him how I've offered you forgiveness and tell him how I've provided for you and how I want to give you sustenance for the way and I want to give you this good land and tell of my glory. Can I tell you that that is exactly what the Bible commands us to do with our faith? To go and to tell of the glory of God. The Bible says that we are to declare His glory among the heathen, that we are to go and to declare His glory among the nations, that we are to go and tell a lost and dying world that Jesus is offering forgiveness, that Jesus is offering grace, that Jesus is offering hope, that Jesus is offering purpose, that Jesus is offering sustenance, that Jesus is offering everything that we need. We are to go and tell of His glory. That's what this Easter outreach season is all about. That's why we want to give out these little wristbands that say Easter at Rock Hill. Why? So that we can be reminded to go and to tell of his glory to go and tell people in Rancho Cucamonga and Fontana and Rialto and Upland, in Ontario, that there is a God that created the, that there is a God that created them that loves them and and Jesus died for them and is offering salvation to them and is offering the forgiveness of sins. Hey, this is something that is life-changing for all of eternity and it's time we got a little bit uncomfortable and we went and we told of his glory. That's what this Easter season is all about, to tell people that Jesus is alive. How shall they hear without a preacher? God's called us to go out and to preach the gospel to every nation and to go and to win and to baptize and teach them according to the word of God. And so Joseph says, go and tell them my glory. And notice verse 14. And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept over his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren, and he wept upon them. And after that, watch this little phrase. His brethren talked with him. Now, that might seem like an insignificant statement to you, that they talked together. But if you rewind 21 years previous, back to Genesis chapter 37, the Bible says that his brothers hated him so much that they would not, that they could not speak peaceably unto him. They never talked. They never had a conversation together. The brothers hated Joseph, wanted nothing to do with him. And then Joseph was sold into slavery, and they hadn't seen him, didn't know he was alive for 21 years, and so they had a lot of catching up to do. But now because of the grace of God and because of the sovereignty of God, here they are, and they're able to have a conversation. They're able to talk peaceably to one another. And this is just such a beautiful picture of the grace of God at work. And this leads us to our last and final thought today. Do you have one more in you this morning? One more principle regarding forgiveness Forgiveness is not a one-time occurrence. Genuine forgiveness is not a one-time occurrence. I've talked to so many people that say, I've already forgiven. And you can tell in their spirit that they're still holding on to the grudge and they're still bitter, they're still upset. I've already forgiven. But genuine forgiveness is not a one-time occurrence. And if you have a Bible today, I wanna encourage you to go to Genesis chapter 50, just a few chapters ahead a few years later in the life of Joseph. The verses will be on the screen as well, but Genesis chapter 50. Joseph is now coming towards the end. His father had just passed away. Jacob dies. And when Jacob dies, the brothers have this thought. Maybe Joseph was only being kind to us because dad was alive. And now that dad is gone, maybe Joseph Is going to seek vengeance upon us so they were scared and i want you to see how it unfolds genesis chapter 50 verse 15 and when joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead they said joseph will peradventure hate us oh no dad's dead joseph is now going to be mean he's going to hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him and they sent a messenger unto joseph saying thy father did command before he died saying So shall ye say unto Joseph, forgive. I pray thee now the trespass of thy brethren and their sin. For they did unto the evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And watch Joseph's response. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. Why did Joseph weep? Because in Joseph's mind... He already forgave them. And Joseph was now wondering, did Dad go to his grave thinking that I didn't forgive my family? Did Dad think this whole time that I didn't offer true forgiveness to my brothers? No, I did. I forgive them. I already forgave you. And now Joseph is thinking, but now I'm supposed to forgive again? And that's exactly what he did. He forgave again. And I believe what we can learn from this passage today is when we forgive once, get ready to forgive again forgiveness is not a one-time occurrence Uh, one time Peter came to Jesus in the New Testament and Peter was real proud of himself and he brought this question before Jesus and said Jesus how many times should I forgive when I've been offended seven times I don't even remember that passage seven times Peter's real proud of himself for for bringing that up because according to traditional rabbinical thought in ancient culture and Jewish culture uh the limit for forgiveness was three you could forgive up to three times and so when peter said jesus can i forgive seven times he thought man i'm more than doubling the number i'm doing pretty good he was kind of looking around at the disciples like yep like uh, seven times watch this jesus is gonna be real proud of me what does jesus say not seven but 70 times seven maybe peter was kind of quick to do the math in his head he's trying to figure out okay 490, 490 times okay jesus was not teaching a lesson on arithmetic He was teaching a lesson on the continual cycle of forgiveness. That forgiveness is not a one-time event, it's a lifestyle. We continually forgive. C.S. Lewis says that we can forgive the inexcusable in others because Christ has forgiven the inexcusable in us. George Herbert said this, he who cannot forgive breaks the bridge over which he himself must pass. Forgiveness was possible in Genesis 45 because Joseph suffered and then he triumphed. Forgiveness is possible in our lives because Jesus suffered and then he triumphed. And today, the greatest thing that we could ever do in our lives is to experience the forgiveness of sins that Jesus has to offer. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. Today, he is offering forgiveness. He is offering the freedom that is found through forgiveness. I love what the Bible says in Psalms, and you can join me in standing as I read this verse. Psalm chapter 130, verse number three. If you would join me in standing as we close these verses today. Psalm 130, verse number three says this. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities. O Lord, who could stand? Who is able to stand and live a perfect life without sin? None of us, there's none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says in Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah says that our iniquities are the good things that we do are as filthy rags. We'll never be able to measure up. Who can stand against iniquity? None of us could do that. But with you, with our God, there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Aren't you thankful today that our God stands and offers the forgiveness of our sins and a home in heaven forever? And today, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you don't know if you have a real relationship with God, I'm not talking about reading the Bible or going to church. Those are good things. I'm talking about if you've never had a real encounter with Jesus Christ, today your sins can be forgiven and you can experience a new beginning. But for those of you today that have accepted Jesus Christ and you have experienced the forgiveness of sins and you do know that you are on your way to heaven when you die, I want you to know that you can trust God in your salvation, but you can also trust God in your suffering. In your season of suffering, you can still cry out and trust to God Uh, because when the brothers came to Joseph and they said, hey, dad's died, you need to forgive again. And Joseph was thinking, I already forgave. This is what Joseph says. It's perhaps the most famous thing that Joseph ever said in his life. He he responds with this statement. In Genesis 50, verse 19 and 20, and Joseph said unto them, fear not, for I am I in the place of God, but as for you, you thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring it to pass as it is this day to save much people alive. Aren't you thankful today that Joseph was able to say what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Hey, I think we got to lift up our voices today and declare that truth. What the enemy meant for evil, God meant it for good. Sing it with a little bit of faith this morning.